Tradcast Express. Tradcast Express, it's Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. Finally, we have arrived at our last installment covering the infernal exhortation Carita Amazonia, released by Antipope Francis on February 12th of this year. So if you're tired of this topic, as am I, then don't worry. Beginning with the next podcast, we'll be back to our regular content. All right, so we're still in Chapter 4 on Bergoglio's Ecclesial Dream for the Amazon. In paragraph 94, the Jesuit apostate introduces the reader to the idea of lay-led parishes. Here's what he says, quote, A church of Amazonian features requires the stable presence of mature and lay leaders endowed with authority and familiar with the languages, cultures, spiritual experience, and communal way of life in the different places, but also open to the multiplicity of gifts that the Holy Spirit bestows on everyone. For wherever there is a particular need, he has already poured out the charisms that can meet it. This requires the church to be open to the Spirit's boldness, to trust in and concretely to permit the growth of a specific ecclesial culture that is distinctively lay. The challenges in the Amazon region demand of the church a special effort to be present at every level, and this can only be possible through the vigorous, broad, and active involvement of the laity, unquote. So here Francis is hijacking the Holy Ghost to push for lay leaders in parishes and communities. And of course, as we said in the last episode, Tratcast Express number 108, Francis is laying down principles that can be used later to introduce precisely those things he's rejecting for the time being. Namely, the idea of opening the Novus Ordo priesthood to married men or to women. Because the same logic that leads him to introduce lay leaders will also work for married or women priests. The church has to be open to the boldness of the spirit and trust him completely because he is the God of surprises who always introduces new things we have to courageously accept. And who's Francis to judge that we can't have married or female clergy when the Holy Spirit has clearly poured out charisms that are manifesting themselves in vocations, right? So, you see, it doesn't take much to find in paragraph 94 the seeds for the next step in the ongoing Novus Ordo revolution. Once you've opened things up to novelty that must be courageously accepted, which you simply ascribe to the Holy Ghost, then anything is possible. Then, in paragraph 95, Francis refers to the consecrated life as, quote, capable of dialogue, synthesis, incarnation, and prophecy, unquote. Now, this is one of those typical products of Vatican II theology that makes everybody go, ooh, but really nobody knows what it means, or rather, it could mean anything. 
And of course, it stands in the starkest possible contrast to the actual reality that is the Vatican II Church. I mean, just have a look at the news digests that we publish at uh, NovusOrdoWatch.org to see how that incarnational prophecy stuff is working out for them. You know, the way they talk, you'd think their religion is filled to the brim with sanctity and charisms and miracles and devotion and full of zeal and fervor. But when you observe what it all actually looks like, well, just go to your local Novus Ordo church. See what they teach in catechism, how they celebrate and assist at their so-called masses, how they're dressed, what's printed in their bulletins, what kind of movies they watch, what ideas they have about matters of eternal salvation, what their views are on holy purity, how good of an understanding they have of Catholic dogma in general, and so forth. And of course, we all know it's absolutely atrocious. Most of them probably couldn't even list all of the Ten Commandments. And I'm not even trying to assign blame here. That's a whole another story that's not relevant to the point I'm making here, which is that what the Vatican II religion claims is a great renewal is an actual fact, the great apostasy. So I guess in that sense, it does have something to do with prophecy. Anyway, in uh, paragraphs 99 to 103, Francis elaborates on why he won't permit women to be ordained, though I don't believe that anything he says there is such that it couldn't be later reversed by appealing to a new revelation from the God of Surprises. You know, when a bold approach to newness is needed and all that. Well, I mean, if he can reverse 6,000 years or whatever of Catholic and Old Testament teaching on the permissibility of capital punishment simply by appealing to some newfound understanding of human dignity, you'd better believe he can overturn a few paragraphs from a lousy exhortation he wrote, When the Spirit Calls. And then, of course, there will be plenty of people like Jimmy Aiken, Tim Staples, and the writers at the Where Peter Is blog who will then explain to us how there's really no contradiction with prior teaching, just the development, you know, a hermeneutic of continuity and all that. But, okay, back to the text of the exhortation. In paragraph 104, the Frankster notes, quote, Conflict is overcome at a higher level where each group can join the other in a new reality while remaining faithful to itself. Everything is resolved on a higher plane and preserves what is valid and useful on both sides, unquote. Now that right there is 100% Hegelian meaning it's an application of the philosophy of the 19th century German idealist George Hegel. Uh, he is a favorite among Novus Ordos, especially also for Joseph Ratzinger. The problem is that his philosophy is not at all compatible with Catholicism. See, for Hegel, all of reality is a process, including God. And that's why you find so much process theology in the new church and why in what I just quoted Francis uh, as saying, why uh, there he talks about uh, resolving conflict at a higher level at which there is a new reality synthesizing two opposing sides, each of which remains faithful to itself. That's pretty much how 
Ratzinger as Benedict the Sixteenth approached liturgy. Right? That's how in his Motu Proprio Samorum Pontificum, he tried to overcome the problem of having the Novus Ordo Mass as the current Roman Rite, and yet also the traditional Latin Mass as the former Roman Rite, and yet allowing both of them basically as equals. How did he do it? How did he resolve that contradiction? He used Hegel. He made up a synthesis of the two by claiming that they were both two forms of the one Roman rite, one ordinary, the other extraordinary. Two different ways of expressing the same thing, he claimed. Baloney. But it worked. It fooled those who wanted the traditional mass. And think about how many of those people would be sedevacanists today if the new church only had the Novus Ordo right. So, it worked. It kept good people in the false church. Anyway, I went off on a tangent here, but let's get back to Corita Amazonia. In paragraph 105, Francis again toots the horn of the uh, surprises that God offers us when we try to overcome conflicts by transcending them. He writes, quote, from that new gift, accepted with boldness and generosity, from that unexpected gift which awakens a new and greater creativity, there will pour forth as from an overflowing fountain the answers that contraposition did not allow us to see. Unquote. Okay, what now? Yeah, whatever. It's completely gratuitous. Francis is just making a claim that floats his boat. That's all this is. I mean, he certainly didn't prove anything. He just asserted that that's how it is, and because he made it sound so nice and flowery, people will just accept it. Then we come to the subsection ecumenical and interreligious coexistence. Ooh. In paragraph 106, Francis writes this, quote, in an Amazonian region characterized by many religions, we believers need to find occasions to speak to one another and to act together for the common good and the promotion of the poor. This has nothing to do with watering down or concealing our deepest convictions when we encounter others who think differently than ourselves. If we believe that the Holy Spirit can work amid differences, then we will try to let ourselves be enriched by that insight while embracing it from the core of our own convictions and our own identity. For the deeper, stronger, and richer that identity is, the more we will be capable of enriching others with our own proper contribution. Unquote. You know, it's always the same claptrap. Blah, blah, encounter, blah, blah, differences, blah, blah, enrichment. What Francis says there is totally incompatible with the Roman Catholic religion. For one thing, he claims that followers of false religions are believers. That is false. You can only believe, properly speaking, in the truth revealed by God. But that is something that non-Catholics, by definition, do not do, objectively speaking. So, you cannot call them believers without totally undermining the exclusivity of the Catholic religion. Likewise, Francis talks about our convictions. That's subjective. 
I can be convinced of something that is completely false. The idea is not to communicate our convictions to others, but the true faith. Now, that had better be our conviction, but the essential point is that we must communicate, however properly and prudently, not what we happen to be convinced of, per se, but that which God has revealed. Likewise, the point of evangelization isn't to enrich others with our oh-so-deep identity, it's to preach the gospel. So you can see how Francis is making it all totally subjective. He's not speaking about the objective truth of God's revelation at all. He's talking about communicating our innermost convictions, which Catholics have as much as pagans do. They're just different ones, but they're innermost convictions either way. And so Pachamama is put on the same level with the most holy trinity. What an abomination. And it doesn't get any better in the next paragraph, which is uh, 107. Quote, We Catholics possess in sacred scripture a treasure that other religions do not accept, even though at times they may read it with interest and even esteem some of its teachings. We attempt to do something similar with the sacred texts of other religions and religious communities. Unquote. Actually, no, we don't. We don't give a hoot what the diabolical texts of other religions say, because whatever is in them that is true is either a truth known from natural reason, which is available to anyone, or is a truth from divine revelation, which they've stolen from the Catholic Church or from the Church of the Old Covenant. And anything that doesn't fall into one of these two categories is false. So there is nothing for a Catholic to find in the texts of other religions. Now, regarding the Blessed Virgin Mary, Bergoglio says in the same paragraph, quote, We feel it our duty to share with the Amazon region the treasure of that warm maternal love which we ourselves have received, unquote. Now, that's not too bad, but even here, notice the emphasis on the subjective. Francis speaks of us feeling it our duty, as though it were just some kind of emotion that compels us to speak of the Blessed Mother. And while that may very well be a part of it, that is not the essential reason for evangelization. It has nothing to do, per se, with an internal feeling that urges us. The obligation, the duty to evangelize, to speak about the Blessed Mother and everything else pertaining to the gospel, comes to us from an external command, an objective mission given to Catholics by Jesus Christ our Lord. If you have internal feelings in that regard too, that's great, but that's not what confers that duty upon you. Again, think about it. If it were a matter of an internal feeling, then what would we say to a pagan who also has an inner emotion that compels him to speak to us about Pachamama? So you see that under that scenario, once again, there would be no difference between the true religion and false religions, between the religion instituted by God and those made by man or by the devil. There would be no real objective difference between them. It's as though it were all just a matter of us sharing our convictions versus other people sharing theirs. 
That is modernism, and it does away with the very foundation of Catholicism. In paragraph 109, Francis waxes really ecumenical and repeats, as he has done so often in the last seven years, that heretics, baptized non-Catholics, have a mission from God. He says, quote, We are united by the fire of the Spirit who sends us forth on mission. Unquote. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that Protestants do not have a mission from God, except to convert to Catholicism, as does everyone else who isn't a Catholic. That's because Catholicism alone is the true religion. Francis, of course, has long thrown that idea overboard. To see the enormous contradiction between the Novus Ordo position since Vatican II, that Protestants also have a mission from God to proclaim the gospel, contrast what Francis says here in, in Carita Amazonia with, for example, what Pope Leo XIII wrote to Cardinal Pietro Respighi, the Vicar General of Rome, on August 19, 1900, against the proselytism of Protestants in the city of of Rome. This is Pope Leo XIII. Quote, Already from the first moments of our pontificate, we had to indicate as one of the most deplorable harm that is the change in the order of things in this capital of the Catholic world, the ardent proselytism of heresy, and consequently the peril which the faith of our people was exposed to. And on this subject, we having put forward to our Cardinal Vicar, we have on numerous occasions imparted exhortations, counsels, and warnings to the faithful to warn them against the multiple attempts that sects of all kinds coming from foreign lands would exercise here under the umbrella of public laws in order to spread in the souls of the faithful the poison of denial and error." Unquote. Well, you know, if Protestants are merely preaching the gospel by Christ's mandate, then what is Pope Leo complaining about? Shouldn't we be glad that the spiritual progeny of Martin Luther, another witness to the gospel according to the Vatican, is enriching everyone with their preaching? So it's not hard to see how the Vatican II religion is diametrically opposed to the perennial religion the entire world alone knew as Roman Catholicism until the death of Pope Pius XII in 1958. In paragraph 110, Francis continues along the same line and asks, quote, How can we not struggle together? How can we not pray and work together side by side to defend the poor of the Amazon region, to show the sacred countenance of the Lord, and to care for his work of creation? Unquote. You know, I found that really bizarre that Francis now wants to work together with Protestants in order to show the countenance of the Lord to the pagans in the Amazon, when before he was telling us that the pagans are showing the countenance of the Lord to us, right? I mean, in paragraph 63, remember, he said, quote, If we devote our lives to their service, to working for the justice and dignity that they deserve, we cannot conceal the fact that we do so because we see Christ in them, Unquote. You know, it, it's, <laughs> it's hard to really keep up with all this. All right, we finally arrived at the end, paragraph 111. There Francis claims that the Blessed Virgin Mary is the 
one mother of all, which is false. Okay, The mother of God is not the mother of all men. There is one woman who is indeed the mother of all people, but that is Eve. She is the natural mother of all people because all people without exception trace their lineage back to her and Adam. The Blessed Virgin Mary is the mother only of Christians, of Catholics, of those regenerated in baptism. She is not our natural but our supernatural mother. But Francis, being a naturalist, of course, he glosses over that. To him, it's all the same anyway. And uh, so he closes his abominable exhortation, Corita Amazonia, with a poem, a hymn to the Blessed Mother, and it's full of problems, of course. I'll spare you and not read you the whole thing. Let me just say that he goes beyond calling Mary the mother of all men, calling her the mother, get this, the mother of all creatures. Now, that's even more unacceptable. The Blessed Virgin Mary is not the mother of all creatures. All creatures would mean everything created, including cockroaches, amoeba, trees, rocks, and so on. In this hymn, Francis also talks about fraternity and justice, of course, and the wounds inflicted on nature, though there's no explicit mention of redemption or the salvation of souls. Hey, can't include everything, right? All right, that's it. We've arrived at the end of Corita Amazonia, a document filled with error, blasphemy, heresy, and all kinds of other nonsense. But because Francis didn't permit married or women priests in the exhortation, the Rorate Chaley blog glibly noted on Twitter on February 12th, quote, the Holy Ghost once again acts to protect Holy Mother Church, unquote. Yeah, that's it. Corita Amazonia is a document protected by the Holy Ghost. Folks, there are none so blind as those who refuse to see. Tratcast Express is a production of Novos Ordo Watch. Check us out at tratcast.org. And if you like what we're doing, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution at novosordowatch.org slash donate.